Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. A funny thing happened on the internet last month. Who TF is Ozzy Osbourne? This is why I love Post Malone, for shining light on unknown artists. Don't know who this Ozzy Osbourne guy is? But shout out Post for putting him on. Listening to Post Malone, who is this Ozzy Osbourne guy? He's so good. He's going to be famous and popular. Ozzy Osbourne did so good for his first song. So cool of Post Malone to put him on like that. (laughs) Uh, Those are the tweets from Post Malone fans. uh, Lovingly read by my dear friend Sims and my wife Lena. (laughs) In case you missed this story... Post Malone, American sad boy rapper and um, one of the top selling artists in the world right now, put out a new album last month called Hollywood is Bleeding. Track nine off that album, Take What You Want From Me, features Houston rapper and Super Bowl halftime asteroid writer Travis Scott, plus a little up and coming artist trying to break it into the biz named Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, last month, a whole lot of Post Malone fans learned about Ozzy Osbourne for the first time. Thankfully, they were very outspoken about that discovery on their Twitter feeds, providing endless joy for the rest of us. This Ozzy Osbourne guy got finna blow up thanks to Post Malone. Hashtag help small artists. Then another tweet from the same person. He's kind of ripping off Youngblood's style, though. It's a frowny face. <laughs> you know, if maybe he can find his own style instead of ripping off Post Malone, there might be a pretty bright future ahead for this Osborne fellow. I mean, where would he be without Post Malone? Where would this podcast be without Post Malone? <laughs> Hashtag blessed. This is The Opus, brought to you by Consequence Sound and Sony Legacy. I'm your host, Andy Bothwell. Uh... This, of course, has happened before. 
a few years ago, Kanye West discovered a little artist named uh, Sir Paul McCartney. When he put him on a song with Rihanna called Four or Five Seconds, internet teens went nuts and discovered the Beatles for the first time. Even more recently, and kind of even funnier to me, Taylor Swift's new album got knocked out of the charts by Tool. God, if you think Post Malone and Ozzy breeds strange bedfellows, try imagining several million Swifties. Uh, that's what Taylor Swift fans are called. Try imagine several million Swifties trying to wrap their heads around how some hour and a half prog rock album made with these ancient instruments called guitars uh, managed to dethrone their queen from the top of the charts. You can Google all of these incredible moments in American history. I encourage you to do so. They are great. Whenever you're having a bad day, just read uh, Swifties. <laughs> Comments about Tool. Ah, what a time to be alive. The thing is, though, when you listen to the Post Malone song, it makes sense. I mean, history is littered with terrible cross-genre rap rock synergistic pollination. I'm looking at you, L. Cool J and Brad Paisley. But Ozzy doesn't feel out of place in there. It kind of works. I mean, go listen to it. I give you permission to pause the podcast, go look it up, and listen to it. Go ahead. I'll wait. <clears throat> Do you hear it? I mean, you see what I mean? It sounds like Randy Rhodes wrote that guitar riff. The tone is pure 80s metal. Ozzy fits seamlessly into that song with white boy, stoner, crooner, Post Malone, and Kylie Jenner's boyfriend because it sounds like Blizzard of Oz set to trap drums. And honestly, man, I'm not even mad at it. I mean, it bangs. Ozzy kills it. You know Ozzy Osbourne did announce a new album coming out next year. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that an Ozzy Osbourne Young Thug collab is the song America needs. At least I need. As absurd as this is, it does make some kind of weird sense in the world of pop, cross-promotion, genre-bending. I mean, there's Ozzy and Randy and just metal influence all over that Post Malone record. On the cover, he's in a castle window with a sword and a tiny skeleton around him. And then in the video for his song Circles, he's walking around in a suit of armor. I mean, like, how, you can't get more 80s metal than that. But how did we get here? Post Malone is currently, at uh, time of publication, the number two most played artist in the world on Spotify. He could have anybody he wants on his album, and he put Ozzy Osbourne on there. And Post Malone was certainly not the first person to draw influence from Blizzard of Oz. He's not even the first rapper to borrow from Ozzy. But before we get to that, and I cannot wait to get to that, we have to go back to when the album came out. Because we can't talk about its influence today without talking about its influence then. You talk to Zach Wilde, Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist, Zach Wilde, uh, Black Label Society, Zach Wilde, guitar god, Zach Wilde, a, a child of that era of metal, Zach Wilde. And he'll be the first one to tell you where he's getting his influence from. And to this day, I mean, I'm, like when, whenever I sit down to do solos, it's from the, the Randy Rhodes University. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, like, so it has parts. It's a song within a song. You know, like somebody plays a song to Crazy Train. You go, what song is that? You go, that's Crazy Train. You know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, with Randy, you could play all his solos, just the solos, not even the songs. 
and you'd go, oh, that's, I don't know. Oh, that's S-A-T-O. Oh, that's over the mountain. That's flying high again. You know, I mean, like you could actually name the songs from the solos, which is truly amazing. And, you know, aside of the technique and, and that he could play fast and everything like that, it's just, uh, it's his compositions and what he wrote. There's a quote from Zach Wilde last week where he calls Blizzard of Oz a staple, a blueprint album. And that was just so spot on. Black Sabbath invented heavy metal music out of blues riffs and hard rock. But Blizzard of Oz was indeed the blueprint for something totally new. And while they were not the only people responsible for the impact of Blizzard of Oz, the story really is about the partnership between Randy Rhodes and Ozzy Osbourne. As we discussed at the end of episode one, they enabled each other to become greater versions of themselves. Ozzy, out from under the thumb of Sabbath, out from the restrictions of being part of a group, of a collective, he was free to become the theatrical, over-the-top, iconic figure we now know, leaving a couple of headless animals in his wake in the process. And Randy Rhodes, the son of a music teacher, the student of classical guitar, was finally given a platform to use all this. What they created, along with Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake at a castle in Wales, was this incredible groundbreaking album, Blizzard of Oz. But what they started was a revolution. I think it is possible to overstate the influence of this. This is Robert Hamm, copy chief of the Portland Mercury, radio host and fantastic metal writer. You think of the bands that came out of the late 80s and the early 90s around that time. There are a lot of grunge bands and some of the bands that took on the, the glamier mantle. And I'm thinking Guns N' Roses, the stuff that was coming out that they were doing, the stuff that groups like Soundgarden was doing or a lot of those folks that came out of the grunge scene is very much rooted in the record like blizzard of oz that is a great leaping off point for a lot of people a lot of young musicians and a lot of young listeners to get into that world of heavier music and yes they'll talk about the influence of bands like sabbath and bands like queen there, there's a good chunk of them that will talk about this record as well i know you know i'm sure you talk to tom morello and he will point to the you know the playing on on this record and, and Diary of a Madman as being a big influence on what he ended up doing with Rage Against the Machine. I did some Googling and I crunched some numbers. Tom Morello, Rage Against the Machine, was about 16 when Blizzard of Oz came out. Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, would have also been about 16. Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam, also about 16. Kurt Cobain, a little younger. Dave Grohl, a little younger still. But I love thinking about this. I mean, there's an obvious stylistic through line between grunge rock and Black Sabbath. But none of the main figures of the grunge scene were old enough to hear Sabbath in its prime. But they were the perfect age to get into Ozzy when Blizzard of Oz came out. And then trace that back to Sabbath, Zeppelin, and all the other hard rock bands that influenced grunge rock. 
Blizzard of Oz and Ozzy Osbourne's solo work wasn't just revolutionary to metal music at the time. It was already starting to make long-term impact. And for a whole generation, it was the gateway drug to metal. Ozzy was definitely my gateway to Black Sabbath. This is Stephen Brodsky, who's been in several fantastic metalcore bands. Uh, Cave-In, uh, legendary band Converge, uh, now in a fantastic band called Mutoid Man. I loved the tribute record growing up, and so I knew it inside and out, and I knew those Sabbath songs as well as any other song on the record. But it took me a minute to connect the dots to go, oh, wait a minute, these songs were from a band that Ozzy sang in when he was younger with an awesome name called Black Sabbath. Maybe I should check that out. So I remember listening to Children of the Grave and going, oh, well, this is cool. It's still the same killer song, but uh, where are all the dive bombs? Where are all the squealies and pinch harmonics, you know? So to translate, he discovers Ozzy's solo work through hearing it performed live on the Randy Rhodes tribute album, in which you can hear Ozzy and Randy, full Blizzard of Oz band, playing all the songs from Blizzard of Oz and the follow-up Diary of a Madman live from Cleveland, as well as songs from the back catalog of Black Sabbath which inspires Steve to go back and learn about Sabbath. But when he hears the Sabbath version of the songs played by Tommy Iommi and not Randy Rhodes, they ain't got that Randy Rhodes style that he loved. Dive bombs, squealies. <laughs> if you can't figure those out, just listen to Randy Rhodes play guitar and you will hear the dive bombs. You'll hear the squealies. And if you go listen to any of the bands Steve has played in, Cave In, Converge, his current band, Mutoid Man, there is... Certainly some Sabbath in there. There's a hell of a lot more Blizzard of Oz and a hell of a lot more Randy Rhodes. An old friend, Jeremy DeLuca. Uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood together. We were in a band for a little while. Um, his dad played music as well. So I think he learned a lot from his dad. And one day he sat me down and was showing me the riff to Crazy Train. I'd never even heard of this song before. And he's playing this awesome, perfectly constructed riff. It looks super fun to play. You know, your fingers are doing something real spidery up in the top frets. It almost seems like an exercise. And he taught me the riff. You know, we were way into thrash at the time. And, you know, that was sort of the exciting thing to try to form a thrash band in our neighborhood. And so learning Crazy Train, it had this thrashy kind of feel to it that was just right up my alley at the time. Learned the riff long before I even knew what the song was. So... You have metal musicians like Zach Wilde getting shaped by Blizzard of Oz in the 80s, putting it into their solos. And grunge bands who grew up on Blizzard of Oz, then learning about Sabbath, taking that influence and making bands in the early 90s. And then folks like Steven Brodsky, listening to Ozzy, forming metalcore bands in the late 90s, into the 2000s, carrying all that influence into rock music in the current day. That is an album with reach. That's a damn opus. When people talk about the Velvet Underground, they always say no one listened to them when they came out, but everyone that did started a band. It's a slightly different genre, but a lot of the same can be said about Blizzard of Oz. The big difference being everyone listened to Blizzard of Oz. You may have never sat down and listened to it all the way from front to back, but if you've lived in America since 1980, you've heard Blizzard of Oz somewhere. If you've gone to a live sporting event, a monster truck rally, a rodeo, a state fair, a, anywhere in America in the last 30 years, you have heard 
this. Like, if you're at a baseball game and the home team with bases and Ozzy Osbourne doesn't yell all aboard at you, like, you should probably just get up and walk out and go to, like, a highlight game or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's a bad baseball game. This is Philip Gyrie, who, in full disclosure, is one of my oldest and dearest friends, but also possibly the best person in the world to discuss this exact topic for a few reasons. One, because, and I quote, between 1986 and 1991, I only listened to Blizzard of Oz, Twisted Sister, and Motley Crue's Theater of Pain exclusively. <laughs> Two, he grew up in Jacksonville, Florida with me, and as a result, also listens to more Trick Daddy and Plies and Florida gangster rap music than almost anybody I know. Which, I promise, is actually very important to the discussion we're about to have. And three... Over the course of a decade, he's worked pretty much every job you could have in professional baseball. From the mascot, to the road radio guy, to serving popcorn, to tearing tickets, and all the way up to being assistant general manager of a minor league team. I mean, you, you're not going to talk to anyone who's heard the national anthem more than I have, or let's go. Like, there's just no way in hell. And probably John Fogarty's center field. Like, those three songs, like, no one's heard more than I have. There's an important subtlety to that quote that you may have missed. He lists three songs that, by spending a decade working in baseball, he's heard more than any human being ever should. The National Anthem, Centerfield by John Fogarty, which is, you know, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play today, and a song called Let's Go by Trick Daddy. Florida legend, Trick Daddy. One of my favorite rappers ever, Trick Daddy. But I digress. There was a time before 2004 where that list would have been the National Anthem, Center Field, and Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Because Crazy Train is an undeniably hype song. Please refer to the start of this entire season and me losing my damn mind in an Italian hotel room at 2 a.m. when I hear Crazy Train come on in the recording of the first episode. But in the two decades between its release and the early 2000s, Crazy Train becomes a staple of every sporting event in America. But it is especially significant to baseball, because like Phillips said, when the home team loads all the bases, the stadium sound engineer will play Crazy Train because of Ozzy's classic, all aboard. All aboard, meaning everyone is all aboard, all the bases. Bases loaded. Got it? Okay, good. But on October 19th, 2004, Trick Daddy releases a song called Let's Go, featuring Chicago speed rapper Twista, and the King of Kronk himself on the chorus, Atlanta's own Lil Jon. Produced by Jim Jones and Big D, it is just crazy train. Turned into a Southern Kronk anthem. They sample and loop the first few seconds of the original song. They stack some synth hits on top of Randy Rhodes' guitar hits. Brought in the heavy 808 drums, their signature sound of Southern rap music and Miami bass. And they put Lil John on the chorus, and it turns an already absurdly hyped song that is Crazy Train into something that is nuclear. 
And again, much like the Post Malone song, it makes sense. It seems insane, but when you hear it, it just, it works. Ozzy Osbourne totally fits on a song with Trick Daddy and Lil Jon. Yeah, I, 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 I. I mean, that, that I, I, I noise is basically the beat of the Trick Daddy song. You know what I mean? Like, there's the guitars, drums, and the I, I, it goes through the whole song. Which is the same, I mean, this is how a Lil Jon song is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all... It's all just like uh, ad libs, you know. <laughs> it's it's yeah. Ozzy Osbourne is the original Young Jeezy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, they both um, they both probably have held a lot of cocaine in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Trick Daddy's version, Let's Go, becomes a huge hit. Reaches number seven on the Billboard charts. It's easily Trick Daddy's biggest song in a career with a lot of great songs. Eventually, it replaces Crazy Train as the arena anthem to end all arena anthems. Chances are, if you're an Ozzy Osbourne fan and not a Trick Daddy fan, you've probably heard Let's Go and thought in the back of your mind that you were listening to Ozzy Osbourne, but you're probably listening to Trick Daddy now. Some of you may see this as disrespectful, taking this classic song, ripping the guts out of it, and repurposing it for your own use. But to me, this shows just how important Blizzard of Oz really is. These rappers and producers, they had to hear it somewhere first and think, man, this song slaps. They make the choice to sample it and turn it into that anthem. Ozzy's reach didn't end at metal music. It didn't just influence other rock musicians. It influenced rap music. It changed sports. It shaped American culture. I mean, 39 years after Ozzy goes solo, puts out Blizzard of Oz, he has Post Malone fans going nuts over who he is on Twitter. We don't even have to bring up the reality TV show. We just go with the music alone. The madman from the Midlands, the prince of fucking darkness, is a definitive part of of American culture. You don't even need to listen to Blizzard of Oz to be impacted by it because the reverberations of Blizzard of Oz are constantly echoing around you all the time. You know, we hear this song every time we go to some sporting event, we go see a hockey game, go see a football game. We're back with Robert Hamm from the Portland Mercury. This ends up on the playlist somewhere. Like you hear it on the radio, you hear it in commercials, even in a the car commercial in the last like decade, I remember the kids singing along with it in the car. Like they're sort of singing the 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 music of the song instead of it playing on the radio. And it's, everyone knows what that song is by that point. That it's in like a commercial. It was inevitable that I think it would start to bleed over into popular culture. It's an overused term, but he is an icon of what he represents for you know rock music and metal. That it it, it makes perfect sense that you know certain school of hip hop producers and artists would come back around to him and be like, yes, this guy's important. This music is great. Let's see what we can do with it. Ozzy Osbourne's significance to American popular culture is certainly indelible by now. He's beloved in much the same way that Willie Nelson is beloved. They both 
everyone's cool old grandpa, which is totally inconceivable if you take into account the other impact Blizzard of Oz made on America at the time of its release. Because for as many people as there were loving what Ozzy was putting out into the world, there were also a great many who would do anything they could to try to stop him. And they tried everything. They tried to ban him from the airwaves, they tried to censor him, and they even tried to send him to prison for his music. But we'll get into all that next week on episode three, the final episode of season five, where we will cover the suicide solution cases, the satanic panic of the 80s, Tipper Gore, and the fight for First Amendment rights. I want to thank my guest Robert Hamm of the Portland Mercury, Steve Brodsky of Mutoid Man, and if you want to hear some fantastic guitar work, uh, check out that band. Really, really awesome band. Of course, Zach Wilde of Black Label Society, my dear friend, the Prince of Mayport, Philip Guyrie, and a big thank you to the homie Sims of Doomtree and my beautiful wife Lena for the (laughs) dramatic readings of Post Malone's fan tweets. If you want to hear a collection of Ozzy Osbourne's greatest songs curated by the staff of Consequence of Sound, check out ozzyosbourne.lnk.to. That's ozzyosbourne.lnk.to. It'll let you choose a streaming site of your choice, and you can sink your teeth into the Prince of Darkness' entire catalog. But go listen to Blizzard of Oz from front to back. Again, it's a fantastic record. It's a really, really wonderful thing. And then also listen to Trick Daddy's Let's Go, because, man... It slaps. (laughs) Listen to more Trick Daddy. Everyone should listen to more Trick Daddy. Be sure to subscribe to The Opus wherever you get your podcasts. If it is Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating or a review. It does help us a great deal. Uh, And uh, tell a friend. If you like the podcast, let them know. Word of mouth is still the greatest thing of, of all time. That's all till next week. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy, I'm your host, Andy Bothwell, and this is The Opus. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.